Romy is an Australian artist, producer, songwriter, and DJ based in Los Angeles. She fronts an all-girl post-punk band called Agender, runs her own label, Climax, and throws celebrated parties, Homo Occult, and Les Croix. She also makes visual art. She is a powerhouse of fierce creativity, and we are delighted to welcome her to Sober Sex today. actually investigate how I am um I think I'm good I like it's you know been a it's been a month <laughs> but, it has, yeah, I feel you yeah it's been a month what's that what's that mean for you um I don't know I just feel like like you know like I can feel the seasons changing um like an end of a chapter like just the summer energies like transferring and then just like yeah, I just feel like certain things have come to an end and I can just feel like a new chapter about to begin and yeah. Um but I'm okay. I have like I'm fine. The wind down can be a little challenging. And I don't I don't know about you, but I have pretty like gnarly like seasonal affective disorder, so as soon as September hits, even though it's actually like super warm here, I'm just like <laughs> like I have to. I'm really affected just by our energies and seasons and that said, yeah, I'm happy that persimmons are in season. <laughs> <laughs> like make a gratitude list out of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm like happy that I just bought a bunch of like horse blankets. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Cozy shit, you know. Um, and so, so to, to remind the audience, where are you and, and how is it feeling there right now? <laughs> I'm in Los Angeles, California. It feels good. Yeah, like I said, I don't know, summer was just like super hyper, like a lot going on. Um, obviously in LA it gets really hot. Um, you can just feel like the light changing. Um, things are slowing down a bit. Um, obviously like everywhere there's Halloween vibes in the air. Um, but, yeah, it's good. I love LA. Things are good here. Yeah, I mean, we just have to adapt to the seasons and slow down. You know, it's literally just like nature and bodies like aligning to be like slow down and, you know, we. That's yeah. What we do. <laughs> totally. But I think part of the reason I like struggle with the seasonal change is I'm like, I don't want to slow down. Like, I would like it to be on, like, it's the, like, the self will run riot vibe. <laughs> just like, I yeah. would like it to be on fast. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Like a constant upward, like <laughs> graph yeah. line, as opposed to like, no, it's cyclical actually. Like, yeah, fuck, fuck a cycle. So, um, what are your pronouns? She, her. Cool, same. And what is your experience of gender today? Which, because we decided that <laughs> that just asking pronouns was like a performative allyship question. <laughs> yeah. So, 
So we wanted to kind of interrogate that a little bit just because it's like, fuck, like I actually don't reflect on that that much. Yeah. Um, I don't think many of us are invited to. Um, I mean, even she herself, it's all like I love language so much. I love language. I love semiotics. I love semantics. It's what I studied. Um, but when it comes to gender stuff, I just feel like I transcend it all. Like, I don't know, all the words, it all just is like, <laughs> I don't know, um, limited. Like, I identify with all of it, but I don't. But, um, I mean, I definitely identify she, her, and being a woman, and that's a political thing to me, and it encompasses a lot. You know, being a woman is a lot more than gender, Um you know, I, I'd still say I'm a woman. I'm proud to just because it is a very political thing for me. Um, but when it comes to gender, like it's very personal. I just feel weird as well that everyone's like, what's your pronoun? I just feel like it's like, whoa, you know. I feel, yeah, having to like say that all the time just feels like a lot and it, it is very personal to me and um, it's private, like my gender I feel like is very different, like behind closed doors as it is out in the public. Um, I mean, I guess I identify as like, you know, footch, um, masculine, feminine, like I definitely encompass both of those things. Um, and like soft heart, like there's these dichotomies. Um, so I don't know, I just, I feel like I transcended, I feel... Like, it's very limited to me. But I do think the language is very necessary and I do I understand why it's important for people. But just for me, I'm just like, I don't, I also come from a different generation um, where that wasn't such a priority. And I'm just like, I don't know, I'm just like an alien. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, my experience is alien. Alien so. spiritual being or something. Like, that's what I identify with more rather than gender is like I'm just like a spiritual being I don't know and that encompasses so much you know within that is the infinite rather than these finite words which again it's very important to have these um words Language to just describe try and describe it. it yeah no but I love like I love that because it's funny when you were talking about um like the kind of frustration of wanting to like move beyond like kind of narrow definitions like it reminded me of this idea of like higher power as you understand a higher power, right? That it's like, who am I to fucking define God? And not to say that like gender is God, certainly not. But I think both of them have kind of like a, like an exponential, uh, like, yeah, tra- the ability to transcend the idea of like the narrow boxes we want to put them in, or, you know, the kind of like human definition that feels like a little too tight. Yeah. It feels too tight for me. And yeah, I mean, it's the only language we have, I guess, you know, so I'll use it. But yeah, it's like <laughs> begrudgingly. <laughs> but that's, I, I also really liked how you talked about like, like identifying as a woman as a political choice as opposed to kind of like a not, it's not even personal. I mean, I guess it's both. But can you uh, say a little bit more about that, especially in like the present climate? Present- because like being a woman is more than like a gender thing you know it's it even transcends that and um yeah I don't know it's a certain energy like the relationship I have with other women who are well women identifying people and um yeah obviously within the woman umbrella there's like um like class uh I don't know 
I don't know, I might edit this out. Sorry. Okay, cool. No worries. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it is just, we all know what being a woman symbolizes and signifies, you know, and it's, it's like a certain understanding and energy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I do think that like more and more it's felt like important to, I don't know, for me personally, to kind of feel the ferocity of the feminine because it feels like yeah. it's really under fire right now. And like, so as opposed to like kind of identifying with the oppression of that piece historically to be like, oh, wait, <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know, even just like I was reading um, the the big book today with the sponsee and we like we were reading to wives which is like on its own kind of a problematic chapter but also like super um it can be it's also super progressive for at the time because like women couldn't even have fucking bank accounts you know and the idea that like in the last like less than 100 years like we have come so far and yet it's still fucking under attack and like any it does also feel like so much homophobia is is also like and it's it's also misogyny you know and so Mm -hmm. I, I do, I hear you when you talk about like the political kind of connotations of womanhood right now, especially it's fucking like yeah. heavy. Yeah. Um, it so, is. <laughs> sorry. That like cheerful part of the conversation. <laughs> um, speaking of gender, <laughs> you are part of an all girl post-punk band called a gender, a gender, uh-huh. which either both. <laughs> it's, uh, it's um, yeah. I mean, I continue and I'll, Talk about the name when you... Okay, cool. Um, and you guys just released a record. So let's talk about the name and then let's talk about like what it's been like playing shows and stuff again, like what it's been like kind of releasing music in this moment because I know it's it, it, that is also complicated. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what? Okay, um, the name... Uh, I mean, it's I you know, wordplay is my thing. Um <laughs> It's a double entendre. I got, this project started in 2012, which is right around the time I got sober, actually. And I started this project initially as like a one-woman bedroom project. I got sober. I, I was like, um, I felt really unhinged. You know, when you get sober, you're just like kind of on this pink cloud. You have all this energy. I felt really just like, ah, what's going on? Unhinged. I was also in a relationship at the time. And I was just like, I need to put this energy somewhere. It was just like boiling and bubbling. And, um, you know, I was kind of trans, you know, I got sober and there was transferring that addictive energy into other things. And, yeah, I just had to put it somewhere. Um, And I started that project because initially the songs were just about unhinged desire. And I call it dysmorphic desire. That's what it felt like to Mm. me. It's disproportionate. I didn't have the words and the understanding around other certain issues I had at the time, you know, this SLAA stuff. Um, but yeah, and I, I was just, for me, the name was a yeah, double meaning of like agenda. What the, my agenda was to talk about gender, sexuality, and desire. Um, and then, so the A G E. NDA and then agenda um 
was the agenda and gender. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love it. It works even better with your Australian accent. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. In American accent, it's what's your gender and what's your agenda. The hard R is problematic. I have to always give a disclaimer before, which I never think is a good thing when you have to explain yourself. Like um, I probably would have called the band something different today in 2022. Um, I really love the name Theorem, with, like in, in Italian, um, Theory. I would call the band that now, Theorem. Also, it's a, that's a reference to uh, Pier Pasolini's film, which I love. Um, but, yeah, it just was all in – made sense in 2012, you know, because now I feel like yeah. the gender, that word is just like – It's much more politicised in everywhere. I don't even hear it. I'm like, ah, sometimes when people say my name, I'm like, I'm like no, <laughs> I wish I could change a name, but it's too late now. People seem to like it. So that's how that came about. Um, and what's it like playing shows today? Yeah, we're still getting into the rhythm of things. We did release a record in May digitally and then the vinyl came out. Um, like a month ago, right? August. Yeah, yeah, August, September. And, yeah, I mean, I feel good about it. I mean, I'm really proud of the record. I'm proud of also just putting something out into the world, having no expectations and just being punk rock about it, you know, and I'm just like, you know, because I have my solo thing and it feels really good to be in a group with other women and not making all the decisions alone and having the support Um and just like hanging out, you know, we get on really well. My band, we um, two Virgos, two Cancers. Um, There's great symmetry. Um, we have a lot of fun together. Uh, yeah, it feels good to be in that quartet and that bunch, you know, and be held by them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's – yeah, I mean, we, we will tour eventually. I don't know. We've got to make that sustainable, as you know. Mm, That's like a nightmare. bad day. It's <laughs> a nightmare. Um, the ideal would be just to get asked to jump on someone's tour, um, have it all mapped out and worked out. Um, but, yeah, it's just a weird time. Like, everything's weird. It's yeah, just the industry part is hard. Like, yeah, I, I don't even know. I'm just like, okay, it's punk rock. If you can't have fun making punk rock, then, honey, like, you need to reassess. Like, you just have to do this. It's funny, my career, I've had, like, an interesting trajectory and it's funny to come back to punk rock and be like, this is my thing and mm. this is my purpose, I think. And I think it's the perfect medium for me to be political, spiritual, talk about desire, be really fierce be satirical, be, you know, cultural commentary. Like it is the perfect little vessel for me. Um, So, yeah, I've got to just kind of be punk rock about everything, which I am. Like it is a religion. Like punk rock is. Yeah, no, I see that. And like as you say it, I feel it like in my body that like that feels like you are like, this is my fucking north. And I'm like, that's her north. Yeah. (laughs) North North is in Leo as well. I think like that helps. Um, Leo and punk rock go well together, I think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We're just still navigating it. I don't know. It seems like everyone's just trying to figure it out and people are canceling tours and there's a sustainability issue Mm -hmm. and, you know, having to make content all the time and be on social. It's just like, what? I don't know. It's just like, what is going on? What are we meant to do? Because I think those two things are like in direct opposition to each other, right? Because the social media part like feels kind of performative 
and like kind of bullshit instead of feeling like vital and true. Right. Yeah. And so like how, do, I guess the question is like, how do we use the medium instead of being used by the medium? Uh, yeah. To create something that actually feels like it's like honest. But then the this, this actual show, like the performance part, like the, you are not even playing shows, but like playing with the band, like being, making music together. Like how does, how does that feel? That feels great. I, well, to be honest, I write everything. I demo everything. I play all the parts and I give it to my band and they have input. Um, so we're not like a jam band. I think we're all too old for that. I think they also <laughs> wanted to be in a band where they're like, we don't want to sit there and just like jam. But No um, noodling, no. <laughs> no noodling. Um, yeah, so like, but if we're, you know, I think we're in a really good place. We're a very tight band. We're all like a unit and like separately we're great. But yeah, we, I feel like we've, you know, it took a few years to really get to this place where we're just like a unit and tight and um, play off each other. And there's like an energy and a camaraderie and like a group happening. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it feels really good. I love them and I'm grateful to have found them. And no, it's really, it's actually incredibly cool. And I, I might edit this part out if you're not comfortable with it, but like see you guys together at meetings is like so sick. Cause <laughs> it's like, oh, like this is like, <laughs> yeah. these, are, these like, these bitches are vicious. I love them. Like I love them. They look so fucking cool. <laughs> and it's like such a, like in the context of recovery, it's, it's really rad. Like, yeah, I don't know. it makes me super happy it to is. kind of bear witness. <laughs> yeah. It is like because we've all been through that. We get that. We've been through the struggle. Um, I didn't know any of them in those days. Like I can't imagine. <laughs> Sometimes with sober friends, I'm like, I wish we partied together, but I'm also like, maybe it's better we didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. It would have been fun to yeah see them. We didn't have to like trauma bond. <laughs> yeah, I mean that'd be a funny app or like some time travel thing where you could go and be uh, yourself in like the party years and hang out with friends who, you know, now you could say, I don't know, there's app development, <laughs> there's an idea in there to go back and like be able to party with people in like VR or some, I don't know. I love you. that. I mean, although it's like, you might be absolutely horrified, like, look at this motherfucking demon. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I guess we did not arri arrive in in recovery like by accident. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, no, yeah. you're actually the worst when you're drunk. Like, really, the worst. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I like the idea for like a movie or like a video game of like, is this still compatible? Is this still a good time? And you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on sober sex, like one of our anchor questions is, what were the first messages you received around sex or sexuality? Um, can, so you, can you talk about kind of like, and not necessarily your upbringing, but like, what was the first things that you remember kind of absorbing or your first ideas about sex or sexuality? Madonna. <laughs> That's funny. You're like the second person that said yeah. that, who was like, this is sex. <laughs> Madonna, a hundred percent. I just, um, growing up in the eighties, well, no, I grew up in the nineties. Like they were my formative years was the nineties, but being born in the 80s, I just, I remember um, hearing like a virgin for the first time, feeling sensations in my body, hearing Madonna's like the grunts and the certain vocal things. I was like, like that was sexy to me in the video and just her, like, I mean, I think she was a really amazing role model in the 80s, just someone like really owning her image and her body 
Um, and I just remember like hanging, I remember like I have distinct memories about hanging out with like a specific friend of mine. We would have been like five or six and like having like just bodies and holding each other and like dancing to that song. Like it's one, one of my the earliest memories I have is to that. And, um, yeah, so definitely Madonna. And even at the time, there's something about like music was definitely part of me understanding sexuality, even around that time and in the early night, like even technotronics pump up the jet. There's something so sexual to me, just like the rhythm, the beat, um, the videos for that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I had early, I don't want to get into, yeah, reveal too much, but cool. yeah, there's something about that era, like in the like mid to late eighties, early nineties, that was like, yeah, a formative time for my understanding of sexuality for the first time. That's awesome. Especially because I'm sure at the moment, like that's not what you could even put words to or identify as, like, yeah. as this is what that is. But like, so what was the, what was your kind of family of origin stuff? Like what were, was that like part of not like obviously like the sexy parts, but like were, were those things that you were kind of receiving through your family like was, was due to like an older sibling who was listening to Madonna a bunch like how did you kind of discover that or was it just like on the radio and in the it was definitely on the radio and on the tv and yeah I don't come from a family I mean my parents weren't really into music much um, my older sister in the 90s was very formative for me like she was into like grunge and the you know she's five years older than me um, <laughs> her and her friends hanging out, like she definitely influenced my musical taste. But my parent, I don't come from a house where my parents had a record collection or anything like that. I just discovered it. And I don't know, I just, music was very intriguing to me. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, I like that you, you talk about that. Cause I feel like even now, like the idea of kind of being, learning how to be embodied via music has been like, I, I don't know how on earth <laughs> like learn to exist in my skin without it, you know? Yeah. I just heard it. I was drawn to it. I just remember getting cassette tapes back in the day and just playing things over and over. And like, I already knew what I liked, you know, I was like discerning and um, yeah, there's something about like that early nineties dance music. Like I remember even hearing the KLF, like when I was 12 and That's awesome. Technotronic and Too Unlimited, like that stuff was like my favorite stuff from early on. I don't know, that was just, <laughs> that's just my that's shit. <laughs> like, that was already, yeah, like Belgium newbie. <laughs> that's like age five. You're like, this is my jam. I'm so, I can't explain it. <laughs> that's so sick. I mean, I already had like weird little experiences with women when I was very young with friends, just that. I think it's like all friends do that. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty re- like normal yeah. experience. And then I think like, you know, early 90s, like I was a teenager and I just knew I liked girls from, from then. And um, in the 90s, I don't know, I started, for me it was like I wish it was an expansive thing, but I retreated and I recoiled. Um, and 
you know, what was going on in the 90s was like a lot of bedroom stuff, like indie rock bedroom, um, you know, people on four tracks with guitars. That's what I did. Like I started making music. You know, my older sister who I spoke about, one of her friends would be over and like playing on his guitar and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to learn guitar. And he gave me one lesson. Um, I remember our parents were away. My sister had all these friends over and he, he gave me like and I just then sat in my room for literally three days and taught myself guitar. That's so um, awesome. And <laughs> it's very legendary, Romy. Like, <laughs> you're an icon. You know, I, just, so I never sick. had lessons. I was like, that's what, you know. Um, and I remember that's the time, like, hearing Nirvana for the first time around then. That's when, like, I don't know, Bleach came out um, around that time. I very much remember that. Um, and I don't know, I think... My sexuality not being like out, you know, I grew up in like a pretty conservative Jewish environment. Um, it was also a different era. But I recoiled and I went introverted and I was shy about my sexuality. Um, and I just like started, you know, writing songs on my four track, locking myself in my room. My parents were very worried about me then. I didn't really talk much. Um so, yeah, I mean, it just it evolved like evolved into like a recoil, you know, and like an introvertedness and shutting myself away. Um, and that lucky I had music as an outlet, but that yeah. was fitting for the 90s. I feel like the 80s was like more flamboyant. And then you had all these things happening in the 90s that were I mean, there was so much happening in the 90s. But for me, the stuff I was drawn to was indie rock and punk rock and alternative music and, you know, which was fitting because a lot of the people around them were talking about that kind of stuff of, like, isolation and... Yeah, just, like, having feelings by yourself. Yeah, feelings by yourself, that's it. <laughs> well, that's a, Like, you're really the first person who's kind of come on the show and talks about, like, your like, your emotional life, your sexual life and your creative life kind of being woven together in this way that feels like it was kind of aligned with culture at the time. Like, I don't think anybody else has had this perspective, which is really interesting that like yeah. it was appropriate for the kind of mirroring what culture was happening culturally at the time, like on a personal level. Yeah. And that's, that's really beautiful to kind of hear it described as such. Cause it also, it also kind of highlights music as like the kind of lifeline. Right. Yeah. I know um, that was, a, and then I had, you know, then I, there was riot girl happening and queer core, um, and that totally, utterly saved my life. How did that kind of enter the picture? Like, how did, like, how did that transform everything? Um, well, it was the nineties. We, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. Um, we hung out at record stores all weekend. There were really great all ages shows that happened. Um, but I would hang out at the record store and just look at fan. I mean, there was no internet, obviously, and just look at fanzines and see record labels having ads in magazines and fanzines and like I remember seeing a Team Dresh record I think it was like first in a magazine of just like the cover of um, Personal Best was just like two girls who were starting like a running race and their hands are touching and they're looking at it and I just remember that image I was like whoa like just seeing some representation of queerness for the first time um, and being really aware of it. And then, yeah, at the record store, just, like, seeing these albums, like, 
when that album came out and flipping it to the back and there's two girls like kissing in like the bleachers of this athletics thing, it just changed my life. I was like, whoa, I'm not alone. This exists. Um, there was also queer cinema happening at the time. Um, like I remember sneaking out of home and going to see the incredibly true adventures of two girls in love that came out around the same time, like catching a bus for an hour to go see that. Um, again, it's just like very much around, it was in the environment. Um, I'm a product of my environment. I mean, that's why I say I moved to America because this stuff raised me, you know, and I was like, I need to go where that culture is. That, that was like really holding and safe for me and, positive and I always knew I wanted to come here because yeah that it, that stuff raised me and I wanted to be around it and um I forget your question it doesn't matter <laughs> I, don't, I also forget my question but I mean I, I think like yeah this idea of this kind of like having layers of like yeah being raised by by kind of not e- like not even culture but like subculture kind of in a way that felt yeah. like it really important because I mean I also remember kind of I didn't identify it even as like like a like a sexual epiphany at the time, but I finally like I remember like and this is much less kind of underground, but I remember like watching MTV two at like seven in the morning, and like a garbage video came on, and I was just like this when I was like probably eleven, <laughs> and just feeling like I had I saw something that I finally like identified with. It was just like this is it, like this is everything. This is the coolest yeah. thing I've ever heard. And like that, that feeling is so like precious, I think it, like, cause it does, it is, it is almost a spiritual awakening, you know? Of like, yeah. Oh, I found my thing. <laughs> yeah. I found my thing. I also was playing in a punk band at the time. I got to tour America and yeah, it was just in the air and yeah. I mean like seeing Bikini Kill for the first time in 1995 and Sonic Youth, like, um, yeah, I mean, seeing Sonic Youth for the first time was a f- total spiritual experience. Like one of the That's first so awesome. really spiritual experiences I remember having is like they opened with Teenage Riot and I just like tear, like, yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel very like viscerally like, um I don't know, like fizzy. Because <laughs> like I, I do like, I, that's one of my favorite things is like talking to people about, and I like how the conversation about like learning about one's own sex and sexuality for the first time has kind of like transposed into a conversation about like the first time that you like heard the band that would change your life kind of vibe. Cause that shit yeah. is like <laughs> the first favorite band is like the, 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 it's like the entrance to the wormhole, you know? Yeah, it is. And, and I think it can happen numerous times, which is really special. Also. Yeah. So then how did uh, drugs and alcohol enter the picture? Um, I discovered that around 13, I think I started drinking at bar mitzvahs. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where like, I was a very shy introverted kid. Again, this is like around the same time I was like locking myself in my bedroom. Playing guitar Um, forever. (laughs) (laughs) And I, was, I had, like, a great group of friends who I'm friends with to this day. And, you know, I guess we were kind of like the popular girls. And then, But then I was also friends with the rebel punk rock boys that all eventually got expelled from my school. 
Mm. Um, and I guess hanging out with the bad boys, I would drink. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, I remember drinking for the first time and getting drunk and just being like, that's what I want. Like there was, it soothes, you know, it were, it, it, it was medicinal. It helped. It really did help. Do you um, feel like it was social? Yeah, it was social. Yeah. I mean, it kind of alienated me from some of my other friends. Um, <clears throat> but, and then I remember smoking weed for the first time. I don't know if I was 14 or 15. Um, and that changed everything. I mean, like I became a stoner till I was 21, like really was, yeah, again, it was, it was self-medication. Like it did help something. Um, and I discovered acid, you know, when I was 16 and did a lot of that. And I, you know, I really believe to this day that acid opened my mind in a really beautiful way. Unfortunately, I started abusing it to the end and it started turning on me, but like, I do think it, I would not be who I am without LSD. <laughs> That's awesome though. Cause yeah. I think like no, the point of yeah, <laughs> recovery is not to like, like, what is it they say? Like no one wants to hear about alcohol from people who hate it. It's like, no one wants to get fucking sober from people who can't find value in the experience of getting loaded. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah. that's like, I'll, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day um, and I was talking about, you know, what, she was like, what did you do after, like, when you went to college and after college? And, you know, I got drunk in bars and wrote and wrote really amazing stuff. And that's what I did. Um, and that was really amazing and wonderful. Like, it all works till it doesn't work. And it yeah. all is fun and then fun with problems and then it's just problems. Um, so this stuff really shaped me. I'm grateful yeah, it's definitely a part of my fiber and who I am and like my mind. Um, and how did it kind of un- like, how did it inform your sexual evolution? Cause it kind of sounds like around the same time you said you kind of withdrew from this like yeah. sexual awakening you were and like started to kind of get more introverted. You also discovered alcohol and then I wonder how it evolved from there. It's, I mean, I had relationships um, like in high school I had a relationship. I don't want to get into that too much. You don't have to. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, I had relationships throughout high school um, and then and college as well. the last man I ever dated was when I was in college and it was more of like a spiritual philosophical connection. I don't think it was that sexual. Um, and then, you know, when I went to college. Where you studied, you said semantics? I studied media communications, which like, yeah, I studied like, I mean, you know, people like, Baudrillard and Walter Benjamin and stuff talking about semantics and semiotics. Um, so yeah, I did media philosophy and then within that I also did sound production and film theory. Um, and then when I finished college, I went, I came to America. I wanted to like spend a year, just I bought a car and drove around and got drunk in bars and became like my journey, the beginning of my alcoholism, my alcoholism started and becoming an alcoholic from the get go. Previously, it was just like I was a stoner. But relationships, like I I always, I had like a period of 10 years nearly of just like, oh, no, like five, sorry, um, of 
long distance relationships. Like I would, you know, I met a girl, my first proper out relationship after college when I was like 22 and we were together three years. She would come to Australia a lot. I would come to America, would be back and forth. And then I figured out that long distance relationships worked for me because they allowed me to drink and use the way that I wanted to and being mm-hmm. calm. <laughs> oh, I miss you, my heart. Like just the longing. Yeah. So it's much longing. <laughs> I mean, I love a longing. Yeah. So painful. Um, and then I could just do whatever I wanted. And that, you know, that happened again. Like we eventually broke up. And then when I moved back to Australia, I would date people in other cities, like I had a relationship with someone who was in another state. Again, the pain, she it was long distance. I could just drink and use the way that I wanted to. And also I was so devoted and monogamous that like I didn't, I could just go home and like drink and use by myself. And then, Yeah, totally. No accountability, but also all the feelings. <laughs> yeah. All the, and then just being in pain and like, I miss you. All oh, this is so hard. Like I have to drink, you know, <laughs> numb the pain. So that worked. That was definitely linked, um, you know, relationships being painful and not, yeah, like being in a relationship and it keeping me safe but then also having being able to do what I wanted and drink and you I didn't relationships got in the way of my drinking and using like yes, if the person it. was actually there it would be a real nightmare to like manage that yeah <laughs> I got to like have the best of both worlds it's like a thing of I guess controlling and managing you know a form of that um, oh, but that's so hard because I do think that like having had like I I did a similar thing in recovery I feel like because I was so like controlling and rigid about my life generally that I it was very safe it felt much safer to have like long distance relationships that weren't real relationships but like good for pining over yes (laughs) and like kind of projecting fantasies onto yeah Um, that like it was a hard habit to break because it's like that's not real intimacy in a lot of yeah my case at least (laughs) and those are you know I'm still very close with all those women I dated and most of them are in really secure, functioning, healthy relationships and they should <laughs> be married or married. And I'm like, I'm, I was the comment, I was the problem, you know, and I was like my, I also, again, I didn't have words and understanding around my attachment style when mm. I was in relationships. I was an absolute mess, you know, relationships, the, the attachment stuff made me want to like die basically the feelings it was so intense and I didn't know what it was or what was going on and then I got sober and again I was in a relationship and it was still all there my attachment stuff I was like why am I sober and still behaving in certain ways and nothing's ever enough and putting all this pressure on relationships Um, I feel crazy now because I'm not actually like drinking around it yeah yeah I was crazy and then you know Getting sober, I had an amazing sponsor who got me into Al-Anon and then that wasn't addressing the core issue, mm. which is my attachment wound. And then I got into SLA and read Attached um, and read Facing Love Addiction. And fine. when I read Facing Love Addiction, I was like, there it is. There's the language. There's the description. That's me. That's the thing that I haven't been able to describe that I've been feeling Um and it's been five years of really like working on that. But yeah, it was like really confronting getting sober and just having that there. So to back up a little bit, how did you end up eventually getting sober? Like how did, what was the tipping point? Um, 
I never wanted to live past 30. I never imagined living past 30. I was just like going down guns blazing. I was like, I don't care, like total apathy, disregard. But I did hate how I was hurting people around me. I'm like such an Al-Anon that like I don't care about myself, but the fact that I was, you know, making people upset, like I'm such a people pleaser. And I drank because of my Al-Anon stuff because when I drank I just didn't care. I was like, you know, a cocky maniacal like egomaniac and I'm not like that generally my baseline is not like that I really yeah (laughs) it's it's wild to hear you describe yourself as such because again we've (laughs) only known each other like in mutual recovery I'm like and I'm like Romy cares (laughs) (laughs) I know but I didn't want to it hurts to care so much so I hear that it's just allowed me to medicate the caring you know um I don't know, it was like a slow, I mean, I moved to Melbourne from Sydney in 2006. My career was the best it's ever been to this day in 2006. Again, it's environmental, the world, the industry, things were different. And I just had things handed to me. I mean, I wish in hindsight I knew that, but at the time you don't. And I was just like partying and touring, like I'd come to America a lot and, you know, one of my favourite late record labels put out my record I got a publishing deal it's like the classic thing of just blowing it all up really um which I've come to terms with and which I realize like because sometimes I'm like how did I deviate from that path but I do think if I kept going down it just like the drugs and alcohol and ego would have destroyed me um and it's kind of like I had to sacrifice that thing to get sober and healthy and where I am now like I see it clearly and it's still painful um, but it was like a four-year bottom Ooh, and I just kept fucking shit up. And then, like, I got a second DUI. I knew I wanted to move to America. I was petrified that I would probably get a criminal record and then not be allowed to move here. Um, and just, like, people around me were just like, you are be- like, I just had an intervention from friends being like, until you get help, like, this is a train wreck. The next call we get is going to be your dad. I can't sit by. Like, yeah, I had tough love friends who are like, I cannot sit by and watch this. Like, it's, you just, yeah, this isn't you, you know. And, I like, I just couldn't stop. I mean, I was, like, every day drinker and then, like, party drugs were coming into play and, like, I, you know, just couldn't stop. If things were there, I would, like, you know, just take five MDMA caps and, like, a sheet of ass, you know, like one time I took, eight to 12 towers of acid in a, you know, just complete yeah. insanity. Like unmanageability and powerlessness. Yeah, like totally unmanageable. I, my body was breaking down. Like I just had chronic stomach aches. I was living off mm. stomach ache medication. Um, the intervention from friends helped. I had a therapist at the time who was like, I can't see you anymore. We've hit a wall. Um, you know, girlfriends, just exes of mine, just, again, I think I was like, I'm hurting people around me. This isn't Mm -hmm. okay. And the criminal record thing, lucky I got off that DUI. I was so over the limit. Like I lost my license for three years. They're very tough on that in Australia. Like magically didn't get a criminal record. But but like three months prior to that, because I got sober in February 2011, and I remember that New Year's Eve, um, I was up for like two days, just like every drug under the sun. And like I was at a friend's house and they were all trying to sleep and I just couldn't. And I like ran out the house and I remember the sun was rising and 
like I had to sit down. I couldn't walk. I was like, I haven't eaten in two days. I didn't even know what day it was, but I, I got a Gatorade at the gas station and sat on the corner and I couldn't like hold the gate. I was just like, you know, vomiting. Mm. And I just remember the first time ever having like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I like, I, there's got to be a time where I don't have to, I look forward to the day I, I don't have to do this. Like I just physically felt, and then it was two months, like bottom, bottom, bottom. <laughs> um, but there was that something happened yeah. in the moment. I've never, ever, ever had a moment of like, I'm going to start. It was always just like, no, like let's go guns. Yeah. Like I said, bottle in my hand. I always thought like I would clutch that bottle till the end. But something about that moment and then, yeah, I don't know, the two-month bottom, my body was just decimated and when I got that DUI, I was just like, okay, I can't drink for a minute. i got to figure stuff out, work this out, you know, the worst, like having to tell your parents what just happened and all your friends and I don't know, slowly but sure. I don't know what – it was also in Melbourne. It wasn't like I knew to go to an AA meeting and, like, all the, like, young, hip LA people (laughs) take me in their arms and fellowship. Like, I was in Melbourne, Australia, like, the first meeting I walked into, which my therapist told me, like, only because my therapist was, like, there's a thing called AA, I recommend going there. And I was like, what is AA? What's – and I remember going to my first meeting alone – and just seeing the steps and the traditions and it was this kind of like dark church hall it's just like old older people like hardcore Australian bikey dudes it was like no <laughs> young <laughs> you know what LA yeah like none of that and I just remember sitting there and just crying and being like how is my life here like what happened what is going and I just kind of did it on my own for the first few months. Like I really, and I didn't have a car. I remember I was like, okay, you've lost your license for three years. You've got to just buy a bike. Like it was just like all the, something was there helping me take the next indicated action. Um, and I white knuckled it for so long. And then I luckily, because I was coming to America to tour, which is also why I like knew I had to stop because my band at the time were like, if you drink, we are not coming. Um, and my friend JD Sampson asked me to tour. It was like touring with her bad men. So I knew it was like, and I was like, fuck, I'm not going to be able to leave the country. So like, luckily I came to New York a few, like a month later. And it was some people I met in New York who were like, how, I was like, I'm not drinking. They're like, how many days you have? I think I had like 50 something days. Like I had my, this one person be like, I was in New York for 10 days after that. She took me to a meeting every day. And I think in New York, seeing recovery there was like, oh, okay. This is cool. I can can identify with it. I can see myself in it. Yeah, which is lucky because then I went back to Australia. And, again, I was doing like a meeting every three weeks and just – pure white knuckling it but something was there and it was you know at first for me it was a polit- lucky I'd had straight edge punk that I knew about and it was a political act like my higher power first was like fuck the system fuck drinking they want us to kill ourselves and they want us to write ourselves off so we can't be our full potential um so it was like a straight edge mentality that helped that's me awesome over until it didn't and then I eventually met my first sponsor who was 
she was like, I think you need someone to take you through the steps. Can I please do that? And hmm. that's, that's such a nice offer. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's like a long-winded thing. But. No, no, I mean, like, it's a long-form podcast. <laughs> no apologies. But I think that, that that, like, understanding of, like, it's very – it's very anti-capitalist. It's very punk rock to be able to live life on life's terms and to be able to like have no, like, yeah, no barrier between reality and the decisions you're making and the feelings you're feeling that, that it's actually a very courageous choice and a very like, like countercultural notion yeah. of like, I'm going to be here for this motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. Like that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, that I really needed great. that early recovery. Yeah, it's to help me stay sober for a year and then I was like, I need a bigger, higher power. You know, this is not – then it became more spiritual than political. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And and so kind of around that stuff and, like, again, any if you want me to bleep out names of specific recovery programs, I can do that. If not, leave them in. Awesome. But um, so how did, like, your relationship – I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit, but how did your relationship with, like, sex and sexuality and love and romance kind of shift within your sobriety? Yeah. Um, when I got sober, I was in a relationship, um, and I just felt like the addiction trans – basically just, like, sex addiction. I was just like, fuck, I just – maniacal really and um well felt that it felt like I'm out of control um that was yeah I mean that was like became a long distance relationship again um and I was in Melbourne for the first three years of my sobriety and I always knew I wanted to move to LA and then like because I got sober I was like I can do this and I didn't get the criminal record and my first sponsor at the time like she really helped she was the one who's like you're sober now yes go move to LA like this your life's going to become big you can do this stuff now without Um, burning it down in like a really violent way yeah she really she helped me I remember you know she was the one who helped me pack up my place and she's such a pivotal person in my life and um she had 10 years and went out and passed away which is still really heartbreaking to me um She's, you know, those women who you, you, those women in recovery who like change your life. Like she's one of them. Like I have a few. Um, but then I moved to LA. Um, that relationship I was in when I got sober eventually ended. Um, she's really great. I'm so grateful for her. She knows who she is. Like I love you. The first agenda record is about her 100%. Every song you can feel my unhinged. um it's it's her record she was my muse then again I I had that but then I moved to LA and I would I think like this yeah my sexual aware I think like you know it took a few years to like really settle into my body and become comfortable and I think when I was drinking and using I was a lot more femme the way I dressed was more feminine I think drinking helped suppress some of my masculinity hmm. and I guess I, that's like also the conditioning that happened like the environment I grew up in and yeah. my mother enforcing femininity on me more than I wanted it I love my mother recovery's totally helped that relationship I'm so grateful but coming into my body and myself like sobriety's definitely helped me get into my masculine self more 
Um, and just I'm so comfortable in my body and my sexuality. And, um, you know, now, yeah, like, again, five years into recovery, I found Al-Anon. That was great. I'm still in that program. But then it's the SLA stuff, you know, my self-worth wanting to be in a secure, functioning, healthy relationship, trying to be in alignment with that, um, seeing my attachment issues becoming more secure. Um, That's awesome. So, like, what does that feel like? Like, because I, I think without necessarily slaw, but I think also just having these conversations has been really helpful in putting, like, context around, like, I don't know. I, I feel like it can be really easy, especially in recovery, to pathologize like sex and love and attachment. And so this idea of like healing those pieces, albeit incredibly slowly, I'm sure if I had done slow, it would have been much faster, (laughs) but, and like kind of more pointed, but um, like, what did it feel like to kind of like, as it's you, you were no longer kind of in triage with that stuff. Cause I know that like, I don't think I've ever felt crazier including during using, I mean, that definitely was part of like woven deeply into the, my using experience, but like then with the attachment stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, I felt, yeah. Being sober and still having that felt, yeah, really hard. Um, again, I couldn't understand why, but once I found the language, I mean, it's helped so much, but you mean what does it feel like now? What did it? Yeah. Feel- what What does it feel like to kind? Of, what does the healing process feel like? I guess. Um, <laughs> slow. <laughs> yeah, it's really slow. I mean, I we are not saints. I don't do it perfectly, but I, again, it's just like knowing that there are tools and structures around things. Like, you know, within SLA, it's like having a dating plan from the beginning. Just kind of like keeping things controlled, so I don't. I'm not acting on the love. I mean, the drug of love, like, yeah. Um, and seeing like love is a thoughtful, committed thing rather than an mm. overwhelming feeling. Not um, just like an impulse that feels like, yeah. it's like a driving force. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it feels really, I mean, I'm still triggered a lot. Like my anxiety, like I'm so much more in tune. Like I was just recently in a kind of relationship And it felt really safe. And then, like, my anxious attachment started going off, like this intuition. And lo and behold, it was right. It was right because I've learned to – that to me is higher power, like logic and trying to – yeah, just my mind, like, avails me nothing really. Like, I'm – the healing has, like, got me really in tune with my intuition and I feel like that is, like, the channel with higher power and – yeah. Not abandon That's myself. Beautiful. Like it's really hard to not abandon myself, but I don't, you know. Like before when that anxious attachment thing went off, like I'd my it's like my younger child would be like, Romy, that doesn't feel safe. Like I don't think we should go. Then I'd be like, Shh. Yeah, shut up, I need this. <laughs> getting what I want. Like I need a fix from this. Like this is yeah. like gonna restore me to sand like thinking people places i have to scratch this itch (laughs) like shut up this is gonna restore me to sanity and it's like now when that happens when i heard i was just like i am not about we are not abandoned Mm. so it's like the self-abandonment because my mind will just like make a case for me wanting to abandon myself and it's it still feels really hard like i feel like when i don't abandon myself everyone people are abandoning me 
Like this situation that I was in with someone, that's the breakup I told you mm-hmm. about. We had to postpone this. We postponed the podcast because I was sick when we was going through a breakup and it felt the worst time to record us ever since. So yeah. here we are finally, we, <laughs> full disclosure. It was a major breakup, but um, I don't know what I was going to say. But I, yeah, to not abandon myself. And it felt re- it feels really hard because my logic, I'm like, did I do the right thing? Did I overreact? And I have to be like, I have to go with the intuition of what I felt in that moment. Um, and just what a beautiful thing to be able to do. Cause I think yeah. for a lot of us and for a long time, even in sobriety, that can feel like literally impossible, like yeah. unthinkable. <laughs> like I just got to be in alignment with like, I ultimately want a secure functioning, safe relationship. And I've had to do a lot of work about act, like acting secure what would a secure person do right now? They would send the text and not be like in their mind about it. And did I say the wrong thing? Did they, mm. are they going to run away? You know, it's like if someone leaves because I said the wrong word, then goodbye. Not meant to be. Bye. <laughs> no, but I need them to, how do I make them stay? You know? Yeah. And well, especially because I do think we also live in a culture where like, it's, it's especially like kind of being raised or growing up in the nineties, there's all this messaging around like the perfect thing you can do to make the person that you want to fall in love with you. Like, it's like a minute, it's like a gaming it. And it's like, I mean, literally there's a book called the game. <laughs> like, yeah. Do I want to like game this or do I want something that actually feels real? And as you say, like secure and authentic and like, present? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I want now. Secure. If I, if I don't feel secure, I mean, Yeah that so I try just be in alignment with that and then act secure and it's just like changing the neural pathways and changing my behavior to like become more secure functioning because it's an action like I just it takes practice yeah no and I see that and I think like well the last time we saw each other in person we kind of discussed that and like I'm super curious because I do think that like you know it's very easy to for anything that's like involves a quote unquote higher power, which spoiler alert, everything <laughs> for that to seem kind of like woo woo. But it, like when we talk about really like changing the the behavior and, and changing the neural pathways surrounding like what it feels like to inhabit a body in relationship, <laughs> like yeah. that, that is something that is extraordinary and also very real, you know? Yeah. It's all higher power. I've got to trust like, yeah, if it's not meant for me, it, you know, if it's I say the wrong thing or I'm too much for someone, then so be it, you know. Then it's yeah. not like goodbye and I trust higher power in like that. Like that's going to hold me, you know. That's the thing that's going to restore me to sanity and no text from a girl, no, like none of that stuff. It's just yeah. higher power and like trusting on that and just know I'm being held no matter what. And that like, you know, would you like, I think I, this has been very helpful for me also. Like, do I want to be in a relationship where I constantly feel like I have to like self-monitor and change my behavior yeah, so no. I can be likable or tolerable by somebody else? Yeah. Like, fuck that. No, Long the, term, no like, way. Yeah. In, in the past, for sure. Like I'll do anything to make the person stay. Even, yeah. If, in fact, if I know it's not right, like it's more painful, like leaving a situation sometimes and staying in a super painful thing you know not anymore that was like before and yeah 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 because I think the, the like the umbrella of like I am held like this is okay like this is as it's supposed to be yeah like exactly. I don't need to resist 
reality in this, yeah. in this situation. That's beautiful. So like, you know, in 12 step recovery, we often just discuss this idea of like a sex ideal of like who we want to show up as in a sexual or romantic partnership or relationship. Like, are you working with one today? Um, I guess the secure functioning one, and there's someone who's like really in their body and sexuality and just owns it. Um, I think that's what I want to attract as well. Yeah. I'm just like so comfortable in myself and sexuality. So it's just, yeah, remaining in that um, and being like the masculine and being the feminine and all encompass like the soft, the hard, the just all encompassing um, and unashamedly, like really just like owning it and being in it. I see that. And I see it, I see it in your work also in like a, in a powerful way. Like, did you feel like either when you got sober or as you started to like lose, sorry, my studio has been moved to the living room because we're constructing it. (laughs) So it's now it's like a hallway, but um, so did you feel like as you were starting to get sober, either from like drugs and alcohol or as you started to get kind of recovery within uh, SLAA, that you had any fear around like losing your creative chutzpah? <laughs> yeah, when I got sober, I was scared. I was scared I was going to lose my darkness. I've got my mm. <laughs> Don't worry, darkness yeah, is Because I was like, <laughs> I love my darkness. But it was like a fake manufactured darkness. When you're just creating chaos and drama in your life, the, the, the darkness you're accessing is that. It's yeah. like this outer shell of darkness but when you remove that and you remove the chaos and the drama you really can get to the in the real core the actual shadow (laughs) the actual shadow yeah um so I was scared but it hasn't I'm still able to access that and it's purer and it's more interesting um and I think also more healing yeah exactly I've done Like, like healed so much for being able to access that and also, like, healing for others because it is real. You know, it's yeah. not just, like, bullshit. Yeah, and then I can, like, access that and make the work and put it out and then it helps others, which I guess, like, for me, my art is just all being of service to others. Yeah. My I see job it. as an artist is to just make the work and then I'm powerless over how it affects others. Like, I have no – and, yeah, I just have to show up and make the thing. That's awesome. And I definitely identify with that. Um, yeah. Do you have any practices today, either in terms of your art or your spiritual life? If those things are, sorry, (laughs) if those things are to be uh, even like if they're able to be separated, that you kind of have any daily, like, yeah, daily go-to practices? Definitely. I'm a Virgo and I love routines and rituals. (laughs) Um, Same. I mean, Capricorn, but same. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my morning routine is very specific. I feel strange if I don't do my little... Get into it. (laughs) Tell tell us. This is my favorite break. (laughs) It takes an hour to get to this question, but then it's like the best question for sure. (laughs) Um, I wake up, I meditate for 20 minutes, um, then I say a bunch of prayers and I get on my knees and like have a moment with just like what I want the intention of the day to be and... Um, you know, but yeah, it's a lot of prayer after the meditation. Um, and then I put on my kettle 
and I write a gratitude list and I write 10 to 20 things I love about myself and then I I know yeah um and then I drink my Gyakuro Ascentra tea I usually have two cups while I do some writing it's just I guess stream of consciousness just not thinking just journaling or what I hate that word it just is I just write Mm-hmm. eventually some morning pages I'll, if you will <laughs> yeah eventually sometimes I'll come back to that writing and edit the best things out because it is quite poetic like <laughs> I mean a stream of consciousness whatever but like I'm a smart yeah. being so um I'll go fishing for that stuff at a later time um and while I'm doing that I you know I have a record collection so I usually listen to some kind of like ambient um new age experimental kind of or jazz, nothing with lyrics in the morning. Um, but I do my writing and then I usually work out. Um, the perfect day, the perfect start to a day. Yeah. <laughs> and then and you then, record, of course, your favorite podcast, Sober Sex. Yeah, I do, yeah. Or, <laughs> I usually do a meeting in the morning. Because um, some, some of my programs are still online on Zoom meetings. So I have like a meeting at 10 a.m. that I usually that's on every day so sometimes I'll pop into that and say hi to everyone and yeah I mean I usually do a a meeting a day in some form or like five or six a week nice yeah and then I should I mean also Los Angeles is like such a wonderful place for that just because I I I realize it's like I don't know I was doing like seven and seven when I was living there and now I'm like three (laughs) yeah I mean, oh. I should balance it with more nighttime rituals. I don't. I should be doing a 10-step every night. I forget. Um, but, yeah, I'm a morning person. And, I mean, you know, watching a – I pretty much watch a film. and I, Like, I'm, I'm out. I'm social a lot. If I'm not at a show or not out with friends or whatever, I will watch a film um, every night. And that's definitely part of my – because cinema is the love of my life. That's so bad. Like after we spent this full like sixty minutes talking about music, you're like actually, <laughs> actually it's film. I don't work. Why don't you work in film? I was like, I would never ruin that magic. It is such a sacred, beautiful thing. Do you think I want to work in that and like see, see the how they make the sausage? Yeah, how make, off. Hard enough making music, making movies, and having rely <clears throat> on so many people. No, thank you. Like no, in the magic. That's how I feel about horses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, well, what a what a beautiful like what a beautiful life though. That sounds like a really extraordinary kind of like rhythm, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we we descend into the lightning round, which is kind of our lighthearted wrap up. Okay. Um, and like, don't think too hard. It's not. It's 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 supposed to be fun. <laughs> so, okay. what was your first favorite band or artist when you were growing up? Um. Well, the first show I ever saw was Michael Jackson, and I thought Michael Jackson was God. But my first favorite band in the world, I'd say, was Sonic Youth. Awesome. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, What turns you on? And it can be like, it doesn't have to be sexual. It can be like intellectually or philosophically or energetically. It can be like whatever you want it to be. Uh, Well, like what turns me on is a philosophical, intellectual, spiritual being who owns, who is comfortable in their body and sex and sexuality. Hell yeah. 
Yeah. What is your favorite boundary? <laughs> For instance, mine is blocking trolls on <laughs> socials. I'm um, just like, this is self-care. Fuck off. <laughs> my favorite boundary is... Just as a standard healthy boundary. One one year for Halloween, I was a healthy boundary for Halloween. Where I, made a, <laughs> I made a boundary and I put a fence and I put fruit, like fake fruit and fake flowers through it. Um, That's so beautiful. Oh, my God. Halloween inspiration, everybody, a healthy boundary. Yeah. I mean, my health, but yeah, like no is a complete sentence, I guess. Fantastic. I only learned that like six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I'd learned it um, earlier. Yeah. Especially for like the, the, as people pleasers, I think it can be very, yeah. very empowering to be like, no is enough. Yeah. <laughs> and all. like not abandoning myself is a boundary for me where I'm at now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that one's quite beautiful and also yeah. challenging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the best series you've binged or book or movie you've consumed recently? Um, sorry, this is, <laughs> no, take I'm your time. Cookie Mueller's book. That's really amazing. Um, What's it called? Hang on one second. That's cool. I get to see the record collection. <laughs> I mean, this book, yeah, Walking Through Clear Water in a Pool Painted Black by Cookie Mueller. It's like Ooh. a of her short stories. And then I'm also reading this great book I just finished called Non-Things uh, by Byung Chul Han. And it's just about Beautiful. the information age and how we're moving from physical things to, like, non-things. Like, he talks about the analog connections and, like, what that does to the psyche and that we're moving to, like, just – it's minimal things of information where we're not things aren't tangible. Um, but I, I also mainly watch movies. I don't watch series much. Um, I'm trying to remember the last thing I watched. I mean, I do. Or the still, last thing that you loved. Um, I've got to look through my letterbox. <laughs> Sorry. We're all about recommendations. You have no apologies. Again, long form podcast. Listeners can go like have a pee, <laughs> go make some tea. Yeah, go make some tea. <laughs> Live your best lives. Um, I mean, I like the dropout and the girl from Plainville. Those are two things I watched recently. The dropout is like the Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, this is on Netflix, right? I think that was on Netflix. I'm not a Netflix person in general. It's <laughs> <laughs> trash. Um, it's utter I trash. I like The Sopranos is the greatest show of all time. The Sopranos is the greatest show of all time? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> Finally, what do you love? I love tea. Um, I love rituals. Um, and I love myself. Mm. <laughs> well, Romy, it has been such a, a delight. It's been a delight to get to know you better. Um, Thank you. if people want to find you or your band on socials, if you want them to be, if you want to be found, 
what is the the best way to find you? Um, I guess on Instagram, it's Romeo, R-O-M-Y-O-H-H. And my band is Agenda Band. Um, so, yeah, I also do a lot of illustrations and drawings. You can see those on my person. They're fantastic. And, yeah, drawn by Romeo. Drawn by Romy. We love it, drawn um, by Romy. <laughs> thank you. And, yeah, so that's where you can find me through that. You can... You're smart. You can figure the internet. <laughs> You're like, do your own research, assholes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Romy. It's, thank it's you really so much. a delight. I hope yeah. that we get to cross paths soon, IRL. Same. Much love and respect to you always. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, and mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a spiritual growth. Summer, sex.